By the way, this is the first Sunday of the month, so we'll be celebrating the Lord's table, and here it comes. So be preparing your heart for that as we look at God's Word. I do want to acknowledge a renowned former member of the International Church Milan, Ethan from Australia is among us. So Ethan, it's good to see you. Uh, I brought, brought up your name Tuesday night at Young Adult Bible Study, and nobody remembered you except for Chinelo. So uh, I think the whole church has probably turned over yeah. since you've been. How, how long ago were you here? Uh, four years ago. Okay. Yeah, it's been a while, so it's good to see you, man. You're looking good. I trust you and your parents had a, a good holiday here in Italy. Yeah, it's, been great. Great. it's good to see you. So, as I said earlier, um, I try to preach on some things at least annually. Baptism is one of them because our congregation is always turning over. I like to be able to uh, speak to you about what baptism is, what it looks like, what its purpose is in the, in the New Testament church. Uh, we talked about that last week, and I noticed it had been 25 months since I had talked to you about simply the Bible. So tonight, I'm not going to preach from the Bible, I'm going to preach about the Bible. And this is a big deal for all of us. I mean, if we profess to be a Christian, uh, we have some view of the Scripture. And so I want to share with you the view that this church holds and every true church would hold. So I'm not preaching from the Bible tonight, I'm going to be preaching about the Bible. I'll probably be teaching more than preaching. I still remember some 30 years ago, my spiritual mentor asked me, um, what would I give to have truth from God? What would I give? And he said, don't answer the question. He says, come back and see me tomorrow. So he gave me 24 hours to think about it. And the more I thought about it, the more jazzed I got about it. What would you give to have a revelation from God? A true revelation from God. What would you give? Anybody. What would you give? Everything. Everything. To hear from God. The true God. The God who spoke two trillion galaxies into existence. The God that upholds those galaxies. The, the God who's bringing history to a close. The God who will glorify His Son through it. That God. To hear from Him, to get a revelation from Him... I, Listen, some of you have been in the church for a long time and you just take the Bible for granted. You don't pick it up. You don't look at it. You don't read it. You don't study it. You don't meditate over it. You don't memorize it. You don't think deeply about it. Do you really believe God has spoken? Do you really believe it? Do you really believe that this is His love letter to His people? Do you really believe it? You know, it'll, it'll be in your life if you really believe it. It'll be in your life because you'll be in it. And that's why we do the Word of God here. You know, if you go to our website, um, you'll see 20 um, elements of living the Christian life. Every one of them has something in common. Does anybody know what it is? They're all supported by a Scripture from the Bible. Why do we do that? Because we, in this church, 
not only what we preach and teach, but how we live is all based on biblical revelation. Right? That's how important the Bible is really to any true New Testament church. The Bible is indispensable. So, tonight, just a brief overview. Some of you will be a little bit knowledgeable about these things. Some of you won't be knowledgeable at all. So I'm challenging you tonight. You're out in the world, and the world's going to tell you, why should I believe that book? And you need to be able to speak to it. There are several other so-called holy books in the world. Why is this one different? Why does it matter what it says as opposed to the so-called other sacred texts? You need to be able to speak with it. By the way, this week in my research, I discovered, I just want to say this to you, John Piper on his website, Desiring God, he has three lessons on why we believe the Bible. It is outstanding. It's seminary quality, okay? So I just had so much fun listening to him. Of course, I knew most of these things, but it was so cool to listen. Three, three, uh, three messages, if you're interesting. I commend them to you. So, on the website too, you'll see this. We affirm that the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture, the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments alone, are the trustworthy, infallible, inerrant Word of God. We consciously say 66 books. Why do you, believe, why do you think that is? Some of you know. Because the, the Catholic Bible and the Eastern Orthodox Bible will have additional books in between the Testaments. They're called the, 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 the uh, apocryphal books. Um, does anybody know what apocryphal means? It basic, what? Hidden. Not hidden. It means, let me give you the proper definition. It means of doubtful authenticity, although widely circulated as being true. So, we do not, the, the Protestant Bible does not include these books. They are not seen as divinely inspired or given by God. So they are deleted. And, and as, as we talk a little bit more about the Bible through this session, you'll come to understand why that is true. So, our Bible contains 39 Old Testament books. It's exactly the same as the, the Jewish canon that was closed when Jesus uh, arrived on the scene, right? Uh, the Jewish canon, it's called the Tanakh. It has, I think it has only 24 books. It's because they combine some of the books, but it's the same material as the 39 books that we have in our Bible. So, the Protestant Bible simply takes the Old Testament intact, and Jesus affirms the Scriptures of the Old Testament when He's walking the planet. We just take uh, what God had given as divine revelation, and Jesus affirmed the Protestants simply take that into uh, their Bible as the Word of God. So, we have made a conscious decision in this church. We just do the Bible. We don't care what popes and patriarchs and famous preachers from Nigeria or America or anywhere else. We don't care what they say. Or Australia or India or South Africa. It doesn't matter. We don't care what they... They may say some good stuff. I may quote them if they say some good stuff. I won't quote the Pope. Um, but, you know, 
I've said this to you so many times. This is all we do. This is all we do. I just opened the Bible. I'm not opening it tonight. I understand I'm talking about it. Um, but we just do the Bible. I, I'd love to have 10,000 people in here, but, and, and I, we probably could have more people in here if, if, I was a little more, if I was fast and loose with the Bible. You know, if we just didn't hold to it, if we kind of appealed to the flesh and we kind of tickled ears, you know, you can get a bigger crowd if you do that in most places, but we've, we have the conviction that we would love you. Well, we love God too much to do that and we love you too much to do that. So, I think most of you know in many churches, if I almost hesitate to say most, many if not most churches in the 21st century, they've left this as their final authority. They use it when it serves their purposes, but it's not their final authority. <laughs> they just make stuff up. You say, you go to some denomination, you say, well, where does that come from? I don't see that in the Bible. They'll have to own it. It's not in the Bible. We just do it. We like it. It's a tradition. Um, so that is a problem. We just do this. And my challenge to you is because all of you are passing through for the most part. You always have to be in a Bible. Listen, a lot of churches say they believe the Bible, but you've got to believe, you've got to be in a Bible, you've got to believe in a, be in a church that not only says they believe in the Bible, but they preach from the Bible, right? It's the Word of God. It is the Word of God. And any church who does not preach it is a pseudo-church. So how do these denominations get away with uh, preaching things that are not scriptural, that are not in, in the Bible? How do they do it? How do they get away with that? Well, how do you think? <laughs> the people in the congregation, they don't know what the Bible says. I mean, the, the level of biblical illiteracy in today's church is phenomenal. And this is why we have Bible studies. This is why I preach from the Bible. This is why we have resources based on the Bible. You need to know it. If you believe it's from God, you will know it. You will be a student of the Word. You know, doing religion is a lot easier than doing Christianity. It's a lot easier to just do some kind of dead religion. Christianity, it's hard. <laughs> if you're really going to do it, Salvation is free. It's by grace. But if you're going to live it out in the world, it's a challenge. And you have to be fed. You have to be looking at God. I, I, when, I, when I counsel with people over and over and over again, I drive them to this text. I drive them to the Word of God. What does God say? It doesn't really matter what I say. What does God say? It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what the Pope, the Patriarch, or the famous preacher from Nigeria says. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day what does God say. And God has spoken clearly here. Clearly! It cannot be misunderstood. It can be ignored and misapplied, but it cannot be misunderstood. God is clear in His Word. So, Paul told us 
The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from truth and will turn aside to myths. Well, that day is here. It's hard to find a church who actually will preach the Bible straight up. It's really, really challenging. I've heard this a thousand times from a ton of people who've gone through this church in the last 13 years. And I understand that from personal experience. So we love, this, we love the Word of God. We preach the Word of God because we have encountered Him in it. I was listening to John MacArthur, famous preacher in the States this week, and he said, who's qualified to study the Bible? Well, you know, anybody can study it, but who's qualified to truly understand it and rightly divide it? You know what the qualification is? <laughs> You've got to be born again, man. If you're not born again, you're not going to understand what God's saying. You're not going to hear God. You're not going to see God. You're not going to feel God. You're not going to taste God from the Word. Now, we can study the Bible in an academic sense, but that's not why God gave it. He gave it to us to, to change our lives. And our confession at this church is the confession of Peter. You remember when Jesus said, would you guys want to leave too? You remember the multitude left Jesus after He fed them? And, and He said, well, do you guys want to leave too? As He looked at, to His disciples, and what did Peter say? Does anybody remember? Where should we go? For you have the words of life. Nobody talks like you. And we make that confession in this church. How sweet are Your words to my taste, O Lord! Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So tonight we're going to talk about the Bible. Some legitimate questions. Where did the Bible come from? How did it come to take its present form? Who determined what books should be included? Did any books of the Bible get lost? Who wrote the Bible, God or man? Let me just answer that question. The answer is yes on that one. Has the Bible been protected from human tampering over time? How close are, the, are today's translations to the original manuscripts? Is there more Scripture to come beyond the 66 books? Does the Bible really deserve the title the Word of God. There are three basic views of the Bible in the world today. The first one is the view that we as, the, as a church holds. That is that the Bible is the all-sufficient, trustworthy, inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God without error in the original autographs. That's our position. That's our position. Another position is that the, the Bible contains some truth, but contains some error. This is a very prominent position as far as the world concern, is concerned. Uh, this view runs contrary to what the Bible says about itself, contrary to what the, the apostles say, contrary to the history of the, the church, and contrary to the words of Jesus Christ. And the third view is that the Bible is simply a book like any other book possessing no inherent value or personal relevancy. So, God willing, as I speak to the first view, the view we hold, 
you will see that the other two views are fallacious. Let me just say this very clearly. Jesus affirmed uh, that the Old Testament was the Word of God. He affirmed that He was speaking the Word of God. And He affirmed that His apostles would give the Word of God. We have the definitive uh, attestation here. God incarnate has attested to all of the Scripture. There are many other uh, internal attestations in the Bible about its authenticity and what it is, but we have it from Jesus Christ. So how big a deal is this for you? It's, I, can't, I can't overstate how big a deal this is for you. What you think about the Bible. If you think it's God's Word, you will love it. And you will live it. If you're not so sure, it's just another religious thing that I know about, right? How important is this to you? It's God has spoken. How, I don't know. I'll ask you. I just say, how, how important is it to you? God has spoken. God has spoken. Let me draw this analogy. Your life depends on successfully traveling to a far distant destination to which you have never been through hostile territory to present yourself there as holy to a holy king. Oh yes, you have no food. You have no map. You have no compass. You have no weapon or shield. You're blind. You're in complete darkness. You're painfully aware that you are not holy. This is the dilemma of fallen man. And the Bible is our food, it's our map, it's our compass, it's our sword, it's uh, our sight. And it offers us holiness through Jesus Christ. So not only do we not have what we need for this journey, we have no means to acquire what we need for this journey apart from God's Word. So, simple facts. The English word Bible is derived from a Greek word. It simply means roll or book. Scripture is a term in the New Testament that refers to uh, the divinely inspired Old Testament. So that's where that word comes from. Again, the Bible is a collection of 66 books, two testaments in the Protestant Bible, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. And I love this fact. Some of you are familiar with it, but I love this fact. The Bible is comprised of these 66 books written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years on three different continents with a common storyline, theme, and message with no historical or factual errors and no doctrinal contradictions. One uh, biblical scholar in seminary challenged his class to go, f go find another book like that. Do you think there's another book that exists like that? You know, the Bible has supernatural written all over it. Even how, even if you don't read, even without reading what it says, the way it came together, it has God is awesome written all over it. Forty authors, 1,500 years, three continents. No contradictions, no error, 
You know, one single human author can't even get one book written without an error. I know this to be true. It happens. It happens. So, this book is unique. I'm not saying it's not without mystery. Of course it's without mystery. God is transcendent and He's communicating to us who simply have two and a half pounds of gray matter. Of course there is mystery. And I have told you this many times, I love the mystery, I embrace the mystery, okay? Worship the mystery. Let there be mystery. There has to be mystery. If He's God, there will be mystery. I love what uh, John Newton says, 18th century preacher. He says, I will put down all apparent inconsistencies in the Bible to my own ignorance. So, we have the whole picture. The Old Testament takes us from creation and through the New Testament to consummation. From creation to consummation. From we, God tells us what He wants us to know about eternity past and He tells us what He wants us to know about eternity future. So, that is the scope of the Bible. You guys may know that the Bible is called God's special revelation. It's called God's special revelation. Creation is His natural revelation. I heard one physicist say, we have the book of God's Word and the book of God's works. So we have both of these things, but we must have His special revelation to understand how to be saved, how to be reconciled to Him. So how does revelation work? Let me explain this to you. So how did God get His Word to us? God revealed Himself to men He had chosen. That He had sovereignly chosen. And He revealed Himself and His truth and His Word to them. And that is inspiration. So let me define inspiration. A proper definition would be the supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit upon divinely chosen men to compose and record without error God's revelation. What this means is that God's divine truth flowed through the minds, souls, hearts, and emotions of His chosen human instruments. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God. Now that Greek word there, translated inspired, simply means it was breathed out by God. God breathed it. He breathed it out. He breathed it into these men. Who wrote the Bible? God or men? Yes! God chose men to record His revelation. It's how He chose to do it. He could have written it in the sky if He wanted to. He could have written it in the stars if He wanted to. He could have written it in your DNA if He wanted to. This is how God chose to do it. You know, he's all, God's always getting critiqued, right? Men don't like this! That this is how God chose to do it. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you like it or not. <laughs> At the end of the day. I love this about Christianity. God's not trying to please anybody. He's revealing Himself to you. You can take Him or leave Him. God says, here I am. Do you want me? You can have me. He's not trying to explain Himself to you and He's not trying to please you in a superficial sense. He's revealing Himself to you. Right here. So how much time are you giving to listen to what He 
has said. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man. Listen. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals truth, and the, the truth of God, and God's chosen instruments recorded it. By these means, the Word of God was protected from human error in the original writing by God and the Spirit of God. So how does the Bible take its final form? How do we get the 39 books of the Old Testament? As I mentioned earlier, the Old Testament canon, the Tanakh, was closed by the time Jesus arrived on the scene. It was closed. And Jesus affirms it. Over and over He affirms it. How He speaks about it. He affirms it. The Apocrypha was not included. It's never mentioned. The Apocrypha are not divinely inspired books. Jesus affirms this. Jesus affirmed it. In fact, in Luke 11, 49-51, Jesus delimits the Old Testament. He mentions Abel. He mentions Zechariah. So He takes us from Genesis to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles is the last book in the Tanakh. 2 Chronicles is the last book of the Jewish Testament. Okay? So He delimits it. The Apocrypha is not divinely inspired. We simply understand this by... Jesus Christ. The New Testament canon is based on what is called apostolicity. It means it must have been written by an apostle or someone associated with an apostle or with the endorsement of an apostle. Okay? There are three exceptions. Who who knows what they are? There's really only one exception. And that's the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. But the early church decided that it was so consistent with the other divine books that it must be um, given of God. And we know from the internal evidence that it's written by someone who's in Paul's circle. So we understand. It's written by someone in Paul's circle. That's as far as we can go. But there are two guys, there are two books that were written by people who were not uh, called apostles technically, Does anybody know what they are? James? Well, you're right about that. Luke Luke was an associate. He was an associate of of one of the apostles. But you're right about Luke. But I'm talking about someone who who was not an apostle or associated with an apostle. We're talking about... Pardon me? That's Paul. And Paul would be considered an apostle. It's James and Jude. Who are these guys? Who wrote James and Jude? Anybody remember? These guys are the half-brothers of Jesus. Okay, So, they have some credibility here. (laughs) They are the half-brothers of Jesus. As we know, James was the first pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. So, Mark was the penman of Peter. Luke was the penman of Paul. And there you go. The writings had to have the consensus of the early church to be included in the canon. Most of you know that the present-day Protestant canon was affirmed by the Council of Carthage in 397 A.D. 
This wasn't some popularity contest where they voted on which book they liked best. It wasn't that. The, the canon was already set. The, the early church had already settled on the 27 books of the New Testament. And all Carthage did was to affirm. So, the next thing I want to talk about is preservation. How can we be sure of the integrity of the Bible as it exists today? As we know, Satan has always attacked the Bible. What was the first attack Satan made? Anybody remember in Scripture? What's the first question in the Bible? What's the first question in human history? Well, the first question recorded in Scripture is Satan speaking to Eve. Has God said? And you hear Satan say that to you probably on a weekly basis. The media is saying it nonstop. Has God said? Well, God's holding out on you! Is what he told Adam and Eve. God's holding out on you. God's not good, or he wouldn't hold, he wouldn't withhold that fruit from you. You'll be like God. He lied. He lied about God. He lied about the word of God. Satan hates the word of God. He's subject to it. And he hates it. He hates it. And the world hates the Word of God. So how is it possible that we could have an accurate Word of God? How is it possible that the, the Bible would have no error in it? How, how is it possible that it would be preserved uh, intact for us? How is it possible? How would you answer that question? I would answer it very simply, God's God. If you don't think He's God enough to reveal Himself and preserve it for His people, I don't think you think He's God at all. If you think some denomination or some man or some demon can get between God and His people, you have not understood who God says He is in the Bible. You know, it's just uh, an easy thing for unbelievers to say. Well, I don't believe the Bible. Well, yeah, okay. That's your choice. They haven't done their homework. I've never once encountered somebody who wants to question me about the veracity of the Bible who's ever done their homework. Well, how much study have you done in the Bible? How much study have you done on the, the, uh, how the Bible originated? How much study have you done? How much textual analysis and criticism have you done? How much have you done? You know how much? None! I've never met anybody who disparages the Bible who's done any homework at all. Any. Listen, I've got a lot of verses for you, but for the sake of time, I won't go into it. Let me just say this. God's God. He's God enough to, to reveal Himself. He's God enough to preserve it. This is a small thing for God to do. You know, every once in a while, you'll hear in the media, oh, there's a lost Gospel. It's the Gospel of Jude or the Gospel of Thomas. It's been lost and we found it. Oh, guess what, Christian? It was never lost. It was discarded. These writings were not divinely inspired. The church de uh, rejected them. Don't let the media fool you. Oh, some book's been lost. Really, your view of Scripture comes back to your view of God. It always does. If you have a low view of Scripture, you have a low view of God. 
if you don't believe God's God enough to, to do this small thing, I mean, how do you think he handles speaking two trillion galaxies into existence? And all the physics involved with that. And he can't protect his revelation to his people? It makes no sense. It simply makes no sense. So there is a, there is a science called textual criticism. And um, let me just, the short answer is this. You don't have to doubt it. You have God's Word in your lap. You have God's Word on your electronic device. You don't have to doubt it. This is the most scrutinized book in the history of the world. You do have. You have an accurate and complete Old Testament. You have an accurate and complete New Testament. I'll give you some statistics, but let me just... Cut to the chase. This is God's Word. You have no excuse. This is an accurate uh, revelation of God. You have no excuse. You say, well, I'm not sure I trust the Bible. Well, that's your decision. But I'm saying when you stand before Him, you will have no excuse. The homework's been done. The documentation's been done. It's irrefutable. There's not one qualified um, Scholar, Old Testament, New Testament, that would question any part of the Old Testament, New Testament as far as its veracity, its authenticity, right? You have what Moses wrote. You have what Peter wrote. You have what John wrote. You have it. You have it, beloved. And if you ignore it, that's your choice. If you think lightly about it, that's your choice. But God has preserved His Word here for His church, and for His people. Um, yeah, I studied this in seminary. It just makes you want to get on your face, right? And worship <laughs> what God has done to preserve His Word. So what about discrepancies, omissions, and errors? Again, I, I, I talked about that under the umbrella of the sovereignty and omnipotence of God. Um, Jesus affirmed the Old Testament. And what are the two textual evidences that we have an accurate Old, uh, an accurate Old Testament? Some of you probably will know these. Uh, there's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible uh, that was written in 200 B.C., the Septuagint. Also, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in mid-20th century. And they were dated between 200 and 100 B.C. So, no legitimate scholar refutes these things. You have an accurate Old Testament. There's no question about it. Okay? The Old Testament variances, there's there some minor textual variances. They change no meaning of any passage. I mean, they're minor. They're extremely minor. We're talking about punctuation. Okay? So these are minor things. You have an accurate Old Testament. How about the New Testament? The New Testament is mind-boggling. There are 5,700 complete or partial manuscripts that survive. 9,000. There are 9,000 early translations of, of the New Testament. Latin, Coptic, or Arabic. This is astonishing. There are 38,000 quotations of the New Testament by early church fathers between the 2nd and 4th centuries from which the whole New Testament can be reconstructed apart from 11 verses. 
And let me talk to you about the variance, the, the variances that are, have, these textual critics have found. 99.99% of the original writings have been reclaimed. This is, no legitimate New Testament scholar denies this. And the one one hundredth that is subject to some question does not affect any, any historical fact or doctrine or practice of the church. There's no other book <laughs> in the world like the Bible. You can doubt it if you want. You can ignore it if you want. But if you call yourself a Christian and you own one of these, you'll, you'll just have to answer to Him about it. Some of you may be too young. I doubt it. I'm sure all of you have been in love. When you're in love and you get a letter from your loved one, how long does it take you to open it? I mean, if you're in the middle of the, the passion and the heat and all that, right? And you get a text or an email or a letter from the one you love, how long does it take you to open it? Do you hang on every word? So here's the thing. Do you love God? Do you love the Word of God? You know, it's in your life. It's in your life. So, um, let me edit myself here just for the sake of time. Um, uh, let me just say this. People who challenge the Bible, they don't know what they're talking about. Of course, you would expect me to say this. But I'm trying to speak to you what is true from a scholarly perspective. People who challenge the veracity, the authenticity of the Bible, they don't know what they're talking about. They've not done their homework. They are, it's a pseudo-intellectual argument. It's simply what it is. You know why people throw off on the Bible? Because they don't like what it says. <laughs> I mean, at, at the end of the day, this is what we're talking about. They don't like what it says. I'll have no God over me, as the psalmist says. So, English translations. I, I, I sit here and I affirm to you, you have the Word of God. And let me just talk to you about English translations. There are many of them. Some of them are terrible. They're no good. Um, some are marginal. Some are pretty good. I'll just give you the, the top three from my perspective, and I think most conservative scholars would agree. The New American Standard Version is the most literal from the original into the English. Uh, King James Version, of course, is good. The New King James Version is good. The English Standard Version is a little softer than the NASB, uh, but uh, it's, it's very good as well. It kind of smooths out some of the rough spots. So is the canon closed? Is there going to be more revelation from God? Short answer, no. It's over. We've got it all. 66 books. The, you know, the, uh, the Bible brings a close to human history and launches us into eternity. It's over. There are no more books. And when some guy is up on the History Channel telling you that there's a, a lost gospel that we, we need to look at, you know, Jesus was married... Well, you know, it's false. The world's always attacking the truth. Satan attacked the truth in the garden. He's still attacking the truth. 
And if you don't know the truth, you're not going to be able to give a witness out there. People are going to, you know, discount you, which they will do anyway. But at least you can speak calmly, in love, and hold your ground. The work's been done. We have the Word of God. And of course, there are no authorized apostles or prophets or half-brothers of Jesus walking around, so there'll be no new revelation. There is no 67th book. It's also important to note that the, the early church, along with most of church history, understands and realizes that revelation closes out the canon. There'll be no future revelation. What does the Bible say about itself? Over 4,000 times, it claims to be speaking the Word of God. 4,000 times. Okay? 4,000 times. New Testament writers quote the Old Testament 320 times. They refer to it 1,000 times. That's the internal evidence and witness of the Bible. It is the Word of God. And if God is true, then the Bible is true. You'll have to make the decision. I commend to you that God is true. Therefore, the Word is true. Some, see, some people say, well, you know, the Bible, the, we'll, we'll say it's okay, it's a special book, but it has error in it. And why would you listen to any, why would you give any credence to a book that has error in it? Um, acknowledged error in it. This is not a defensible position to me to say that, oh, I believe that the Bible is the Word of God, but there's error in it. This is an oxymoron. It's really a commentary on who you think God is. This is not a valid, in my view, a valid argument. God has not lost control of His revelation. He is sovereign. So, I've talked about a lot of things. I haven't even mentioned the historical evidences, the prophetic evidences, the archaeological evidences. You spend your life trying to discredit the Bible and you will not be able to do it. If you had seven lifetimes, you could not discredit the Bible. You could not do it. It is the truth. It is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. So what's the subjective evidence for the truth of the Bible. What would that be? It's what happens when you're in it, right? You meet God in it. I was reading MacArthur on this, John MacArthur, the famous preacher in the States. He said, you know, who's qualified to, to, to study and, and, and understand the Bible? The born-again man or woman. <laughs> you know, an academic can study it just for the, the academic side. Listen to how John Piper talks about this. About the subjective experience that the true believer has with the Word of God. God's peculiar glory shines through His Word. The Spirit of God enlightens the eyes of our heart. And in one, listen to this, one self-authenticating sight, our mind is sure and our heart is satisfied. That's what happened to me. I don't know how it happened to you. But when I interact with the Bible, I hear God speaking to me. I hear God loving me. I hear God reaching out for me. I hear God challenging me. I hear God convicting me. 
I hear God calling me deeper into discipleship. It's a real experience. Piper is right. Through the Spirit of God, we have this self-authenticating sight and our mind is sure and our heart is satisfied. Justified certainty and solid joy meet in the peculiar glory of God. We're like the man in John 9. What does the blind man say? Wherefore I was blind, now I see. You know, no academic argument is going to dissuade the true believer from believing that this is the Word of God. God speaks to me here. God changes me here. So, beloved, it matters. And let me just close close quickly. Um, I'll just give you two verses. How we view God and what we're supposed to do with God's Word. Okay? Just quickly. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 Paul says, For this reason we are constantly... We constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of man, but what it really is, the Word of God which performs its work in you who believe. (laughs) And what are we supposed to do with it? You remember what Jesus when Jesus told the parable about the man uh, who built on sand and the man who built on a solid rock? You may remember how Jesus closed that out. He says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, he is like the foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rains fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against it, and great was the fall. And everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. So beloved, every book, chapter, verse, word, syllable is God-breathed. He means what He says. And He says what He means. If you call yourself a Christian, I fear for you. I fear for the veracity of your profession if you don't have any ongoing interest in this. If you're not interacting with this. If you're not eating this. If this is not your bread and your drink and your sustenance. You know, it's hard enough to go, it's hard enough to walk with Christ. You certainly can't walk with Christ if you're not eating the Word. You'll be spiritually emaciated. You simply won't be able to do it. If you have any questions, let me know. If you would like to enhance or expand your study, go to Desiring God, John Piper, Why We Believe the Bible. There are three studies out there that are just simply amazing. They will bless you. They will bless you. We are going to celebrate the Lord's table. Tonight we have open communion.